We're going to open our Bibles now to our text for this morning. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're finishing off our series through Genesis 1 to 11 with uh, the story of the Tower of Babel, which uh, we find in Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. Uh, so whilst you're turning there, I'm going to invite Joe up. He's going to read those verses for us. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through those verses. It will be good to be able to follow along. If you'd like, there's also uh, handouts. You might have got one at the door. If not, there's probably still some left. That way you can take some notes uh, and keep up with where we're at. Uh, I don't know if you remember the last time you ever Googled yourself. Um, I'm sure you've all done it. Don't pretend you haven't. Uh, It's okay. This is a safe place. You could admit to it. Uh, I wonder what you found about yourself. Were you happy with the results? Uh, I honestly have to say, when I Googled myself this week, I was a little disappointed. (laughs) Apparently I'm not quite as significant as my children tell me. Uh, I have social media accounts, that pops up. Uh, I have sermon records from all the churches I've ever preached at. Uh, There is the rather pathetic record of my basketball results. There's the slightly better record of my homebrew competition results, which may have contributed to the bad first results. Uh, And there's a reminder that once upon a time I ambitiously entered the Bernie 10 and didn't run it. (laughs) Uh, The most exciting thing I found about myself is that there is another Julian Dykeman in the world. Uh, He lives in North America and is a pro skater and he leads a very interesting life, as opposed to me, apparently. Uh, If you've never done it, you'll probably do it after the service now, that's fine, don't do it right now. But it's a curious thing, isn't it? You know, considering what your online footprint would be. Uh, for some jobs, you might, your employer might Google you and find out things. Uh, it's, it's kind of our modern legacy, isn't it? It's, it's a record of who we are, this online footprint we leave. And as I found out, as far as legacies go, it can be sometimes quite disappointing. Five pages of results, very repetitive. It's not much to show for 32 years. But see, the thing is, most of us would love to leave something behind, wouldn't we? Maybe not an online footprint, but but some record of having been here. Okay, we don't need monuments uh, built in our name, but we would like to leave some sort of lasting result upon the earth, 
You know, to be able to at, the, at some point in our life look back and say, I did that or I was involved in that. I, I did something that mattered. I did something that lasts. I think that's a desire we can all relate to, whether it be looking back at, at careers or, or at things we built or at families even. We want to say, that's what I did. Well, in a sense, that's really what the builders of Babel desired as well, isn't it? They wanted a legacy. They wanted to, to build something, a big, we did that. <laughs> Look at what we've achieved. Were they wrong in that? Uh, is it bad to, to want to leave something behind? And if not, then what should we build? What should we aim for? Well, this morning we're going to see that that desire is not necessarily a bad thing, but it needs to be directed by God. And in fact, what we're going to see is that his plan is the great legacy that we can leave. It's the legacy that we desire uh, and the one that we need. And we're going to see that as we work our way through these verses this morning. I don't know if you've ever realised this, but even though Genesis 11 comes after Genesis 10, these events actually happen halfway through Genesis 10. Uh, if you look at uh, Genesis 10 verse 8, you'll see a man named Nimrod, uh, who was a mighty warrior and hunter. And we're told in verse 10 that he built cities, the first of which is Babylon in Shinar. Uh, Babylon is another name for the Tower of Babel. He was chiefly involved in this work. Uh, if you come down to chapter 10 verse 25, you'll read about a son named Peleg, uh, named so because in his time the earth was divided. Again, it's referring to the events of Babel. So we know when this happened uh, and we know what happened as a result of Babel because chapter 10 verse 32 records that for us. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. We picked up after the flood with one family left on earth, three sons from whom all these peoples have come. And now chapter 10 records all those peoples that did come, all of them sharing the same language, having come from the same parents. And when we get to chapter 11, we see that they seem to have stayed roughly in the same sort of area. Uh, come with me to chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in China and lived there. Uh, together, humanity is kind of migrating and they come upon a, a place which looks good to live and they settle themselves there in China. And together they develop technology and they, they put that technology to work. Verse 3, They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Uh, the Hebrew is very deliberate here, it's very careful. Uh, they say it, it, they, they literally uh, deliberated carefully about their work and then set intensely about it. This is a big uh, deliberate work that they are doing. They're, they're planning, they're working, they're collaborating together. What do they intend? Well, we see it in verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Here's their plan. We'll, we'll, we'll build a city, we'll build in that city an enormous tower 
Uh, it will reach to the heavens. It will give us access to the heavens. Uh, it will make a name for us and it will be a focal point for all mankind, a place for, for everyone to gather around and not be dispersed over the earth. So they're essentially saying two things. First of all, we want access to God on our terms. We don't want to have to wait for God come, to come down to us whenever he pleases, interrupting whatever we're doing. We want to build a tower. That way we can get to him whenever we like. If we feel like it, go up the tower, we're in the heavens, we're close to God. But the second thing they're saying is, we don't need his plans for us. Uh, you might remember after the flood, God said uh, again to humanity, go out, fill the earth, multiply, just spread across the whole face of it. Well, now humanity is saying, no, we've got a better idea. We're going to build a tower, we're going to come together. We've got our own plan. We're not going to disperse. We're going to go our own way, as every toddler and man has ever said since. Uh, you might remember it made the paper a few months ago. There were some hikers uh, down at Freycinet and they decided to uh, climb Mount Amos. Um, if you're on the beach at Coles Bay, it's the middle one of the, the three mountains. Uh, they took the, the track that's up there. It's a reasonably good track uh, and they went all the way to the top. And when they're at the top, they realised that the Wineglass Bay lookout and an easier track down is actually really close. Uh, and so they thought, well, we'll just bush bash. We're going to make our own way down to that tower uh, lookout and the easy way down the mountain. Well, they, they were right, it is close. It's less than a kilometre. And yet three hours later, they were lost and tired and thirsty. We're talking about two whole families here. And stuck on a side of a cliff. Uh, they couldn't go up and they couldn't go down. And in the end, needed a helicopter to come and rescue them, even though they were 200 metres from the track. That's a pretty good snapshot of humanity, isn't it? <laughs> Not just back then, but today as well. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. We think our own way looks better, even though it really is. Well, God has a plan for mankind and his plan is good. His plan involved them being dispersed across the whole face of the earth. God hasn't said why. I don't know if you ever noticed that. He hasn't said why humanity was to do that. He just said, do it. Now, from a human point of view, you can see the risks there, can't you? I mean, go out into an empty world, that's not only difficult, but it's dangerous. There's safety in numbers, isn't there? It seems a risky thing to do. And yet that's what God's plan for mankind is. He's not beholden to explain exactly why. He's just said, this is what my plan is. Go out and do it. And the Babelites rejected it. See, it's not that the things here that they desired were bad. Unity, having a name, those things are not bad in themselves. See, the problem here was their method for getting them. Taking hold of them themselves is the wrong way to get those things. Only God can give to mankind unity. Only God can give to mankind a name. And see, then they compounded their error by in doing that, setting themselves against his plan, against his command and in a, a sense against him himself. They weren't trusting that he or his way was best. They said, we know better. 
We're going to rebel against your command and go our own way. Now we might be tempted to call that foolish and point the finger. But is there a similar trap here for us? Is there a danger here for us? Because after all, we're under a similar command, aren't we? If you were here when we saw the end of Genesis chapter 1, you might remember what God told uh, his people, told humanity to do. He said to Adam, uh, multiply, fill the earth and as my image bearers spread my glory throughout the whole of this world. And what we saw then was that that command was very similar to another command that comes a lot later in the Bible. When you get to the end of Matthew 28, we find there Jesus command to his disciples, his followers, the Great Commission. And it's, it's incredibly similar. Again, go out into the whole of the earth. Make more people who look like me disciples and spread my glory throughout the whole of the world by proclaiming Jesus' name. See, there's a similarity, isn't there? We're under a similar command. But just like Genesis, that Great Commission that we're under, it's not just a suggestion. <laughs> It's not God saying, look, I've got an idea. You might like to try this. It's a command. It's not our, our mission should we choose to accept it. This is, the God, uh, this is God's will for us. This is the work that he would have us do. And just like his command here, it is a hard work. I mean, humanly speaking, what a daunting task. Go into the whole of the earth. It's risky, isn't it? Speak Jesus wherever you go. I mean, it's so much easier, it's so much more tempting to just instead cling to things which give us a sense of permanence or a sense of security. Things that aren't bad in themselves, but things that become rivals for the mission that God has given us. You know, we, we want people to think well of us, don't we? We want to be able to stay somewhere and, and build a life and become well-established and secure, we want to uh, avoid risk, not welcome it. We desire achievement and respect. We, we search for comfort and rest. Not bad things in themselves, but things that can interfere with the work God's given us. It all sounds a bit like Genesis 11, doesn't it? <laughs> See, maybe their mistake was not so outrageous after all. Now we need reminding that this world is a place where we live but it's not our home. We need reminding that the Bible calls us aliens and strangers in this world. Now people, people who are moving through and that's how we ought to live. See our security, our permanence, these things that we want they're not things that we're going to find in this world. Now the Bible says we find them in God and in his will and plan for us. The things of this world we can use and enjoy, but they're not first. They ought not preoccupy us. What comes first is God and the work that he's set us. Because in all of this we need to remember that nothing gets in the way of God's plans. <laughs> next to him, next to what he's got in store, humanity looks very tiny Indeed. Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. 
as you read through this story, there is just one after the other of these really subtle digs uh, at the builders, at the men in this story, these, these uses of irony. We find a couple of them straight away here. Uh, we're told he comes to see the tower that the men were building. It's literally children of men, uh, a diminutive sort of picture. And it's having a, a, a clear go at the Babylonian myths of how their city was built. Their culture claimed that their, their cities and especially their ziggurats, you know, the, the step-sided towers that they built, were built by the gods. Uh, it, was, it was their gods who came and, and gifted these things to humanity. Well, Genesis is saying, check your history. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it was just men. But did you notice what God had to do to come down and see what these men were doing? Uh, he, he didn't you know, look over one day and see this, this tower popping into heaven. What we're told is God comes down. <laughs> now this, this mighty tower built to reach into the heavens, built to invade God's space, falls so far short that God has to actually leave the heavens, so to speak, and come down to earth to see it. You know, we get this picture of God with, with his magnifying glass, you know, trying to see this mighty tower that humanity has built. Of course, it doesn't get any better from there. Look at verse 6. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. As God observes, this, this unified, uh, sinful humanity will only end badly. And if this is the, the first thing they do together, this, this staggeringly ar- arrogant act of rebellion, then what else are they going to do? What more? So God disrupts their work. The Babylonians, uh, they yearned to not be dispersed across the world. The tower was their grand plan to avoid that. But in actual fact, it leads to their dispersal. And building this tower actually caused them to be scattered. We're told they yearned for a name for themselves, a, a legacy to be remembered by, and God gives them a name by which they're remembered. The name Babel, which means confusion. These guys are literally the babblers, the confused ones. This unified sinful humanity will end badly. Badly for God's plans, badly for mankind's well-being. So God disrupts them. He breaks them apart. He confuses their language and they are able to do nothing as a result. Uh, when I was in my teens, we used to prank each other in our friend group. Now, this is back when mobile phones were far si- simpler, <laughs> uh, when they were still in grey and black. But what we'd do is we'd pinch each other's phones and go through the settings and change the language uh, to something preferably quite obscure, uh, Arabic or Japanese, uh, Dutch. <laughs> and then we would just lock the phone and, and leave them to find it later. And as you imagine what a challenge that was. All of a sudden you had to try and, just by guess, remember your way back through the phone to try and return it to its original language. It was nearly impossible uh, and very time-consuming. Now imagine that on a grand scale. Imagine it wasn't just your phone, it was in your entire life. 
Uh, you wake up tomorrow morning, you look at your phone to check the, the weather or whatever and half your apps are in a language you can't read. You're driving to work and most of the signs you see you can't understand. You get to work and you can't communicate with your co-worker because you're speaking a different language. You can't understand why your boss is angry at you because you can't understand a word he says. And so it continues. You imagine that in everything. It's no wonder this city came to nothing. Imagine the chaos that God has uh, caused here. And from that chaos, conflict, and from their humanity, scattering. We can't live together, we can't communicate. And so they're dispersed all over the earth, exactly as God had planned, exactly as God had commanded them to do. See, the point we're being shown here clearly again and again is that even a unified humanity, even in all their rebellion and defiance, even in their high achievements, they cannot stand in the way of God's plan. Even their city of defiance, stretching to the heavens itself, becomes just a monument to their foolishness. They have no way of standing in God's way. His will will be done. I mean, it's like Jethro trying to stop me getting to work in the morning. Every morning he wants me to stay. And so he will do his darndest to make that happen. He will push on the door. He'll hold onto my leg. He'll get into my way. But he's not going to stop me, not, not unless I want him to. Not for years anyway. You know, just like that, you can step over, around, outrun or outwit or outmuscle. Just go past him. That's what God does here. Humanity can't be an obstacle to him. He, he just steps past. He just overcomes them. Even humanity in all their power, altogether. It doesn't matter how sophisticated or rebellious they are. They are nothing to God. His will will be done. But see, at the end of the day, the greatest irony in this story is not what God did to them, The greatest irony is that what humanity reached for here at Babel, God actually had a plan to give them anyway. Not for them to to grab or to take hold of themselves, but for him to grace to them. And in fact, his, his opposing of them, his scattering of them, made way for that plan to be fulfilled. Because in the very next chapter of the Bible, God announces what that plan is going to look like. He comes not to all of humanity, not even to a nation. He comes to one man, to Abram. And he announces his plan in Genesis 12 verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, here is God's plan. Here is what God is intending to do. He is going to make a people of his own. He is going to to build a great nation. He is going to give them a great name to be known by. He is going to give them a great legacy. But it's not by them doing it themselves. It's not by them building this city of man. It's by a city that God's building. It's by a work that God's doing. Now if you know the story, you'll, you'll know that Abraham never saw that. Uh, We're told in Genesis 11, he lived his entire life as a stranger in the land. He never owned land, he never took hold of a land. Uh, He lived in tents. 
but he did so trusting the promise. Here's what Hebrews 11 says of him. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He saw what God's plan was. He understood what God was doing. That God was building a place to gather his people too. A place of security and refuge for his people. A place of nearness to him. A place of blessing and hope. Not in an earthly or human city, but in a city of God. And we're told in the next chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, that that city that that Abraham looked for, that city is ours. Here's what Hebrews 12 says. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. And it goes on to, to picture what that city is like. It is a place of thousands upon thousands of angels gathered in celebration of God. It is a place where all of God's people are brought together in worship of him. It's a place where God's throne is, where God himself is present. It's a place where his son Jesus, king, reigns, his blood making entry possible. So when Jesus came, he announced that this was coming. He said the kingdom of God is near and he made it possible. He brought it to be. We're told in Ephesians 2 that he gathered a people. He broke down that hostility that stood between human and human. But what's more, he broke down what stood between humanity and God and brought reconciliation. Uh, In Acts 2, at Pentecost, we get a great picture of what he's doing. We're shown there that now language no longer disrupts humanity and keeps us apart, but by God's Spirit it's used to unify and to bring together a people under Jesus. We're told that now our citizenship is in heaven, in God's city. That our security, our refuge is there. There we are blessed. We're given forgiveness for our wrongs. There we are shown a love that covers our sins. There we have a hope of a life forever. It's not kept here where it's at risk. It is kept safe for us, held by God in heaven. Now we're called to live up to our true citizenship. Not, not here in this city on earth, with our safety, our security here, but our citizenship in, in God's city, in the city to come, in the city that will never be overcome, in the city that lasts forever. We are that city's ambassadors. We spread the news of the blessing that's found in it that comes through Jesus the King. Where it's heralds, we announce how good God's plan is to gather his people there. Where it's witnesses to the the living hope and transformation that citizenship in this city brings and promises. And we do that whilst all the while that rival city continues around us. Maybe not tower building like in Babel, but still rebelling, still opposing the plans of God still defiant, still looking powerful, still looking strong. But not forever. We get to the last book in the Bible and Revelation pictures for us the future of both of these cities. In Revelation 18 we read the future of Babylon, the city of man. And this is what it says. Fallen! 
Fallen is Babel on the great. In one day her plagues will overtake her death, mourning, famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. That's a promise we read there. The city of man will not last forever. One day it will fall, one day it will be overcome. It won't just be scattered as it was in Genesis 11, it will be utterly destroyed. All its works, all its glories, all its treasures will be wiped out. And that's why we don't seek that city. That's why we don't hope in that city. That's why we don't fear that city. Because we know where it's destined. And we know there is better to come. Revelation 21 pictures Jerusalem, the city of God. And here's what John saw. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. He sees this city, its twelve foundations are each built of precious stone. Every one of its gates is a single pearl. Its streets paved with gold as pure as glass. There's no temple in that city, there's no tower to reach God because God himself lives there. He dwells amongst his people. There's no sun, there's no moon, there's no lights in that city because the light of the glory of God fills it. It's a garden city. The water of life flows out from its centre in ever-increasing measure. It's, it, the tree of life is there bearing its fruit in abundance year-round. God's servants live there and they serve him perfectly and joyfully. They see his face and on their foreheads is written his name that they get to bear for eternity. And there they reign forever and ever. See, our hope is that city. Our legacy is that city. The city that lasts, the city that truly matters and the city that will overcome when Jesus returns. There we receive life. There we are gathered. There we receive security. There we are given a name that lasts forever because there we will live with God. We are to prize that city now. We are to live of and for that city now. And we are to look for the day when we will see that city, when we will see God's city coming down from the heavens, made ready for us to dwell in for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your plan for your people is good. It is glorious, it is beautiful, it is infinitely better than all of our own ideas and efforts. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust your plan, to not be tempted to go our own way and find our security and worth here and in this world, but to trust your way and know that it's best. Father, help us to live for that future city, that even now we can be citizens of. Help us today to be its ambassadors, its heralds, its witnesses. Help us to put our hope in that city, knowing that in it you will overcome, knowing that we will live there with you in glory forever. We pray this in Jesus, our King's name. Amen.